Well, we're going to end our series in Exodus tonight in a sermon called Just as the Lord Commanded. Just as the Lord Commanded, which is one of the most common phrases in the last half of the book of Exodus, where it's continually saying, you know, all these details of how the tabernacle would be set up, of how God wanted the sacrifices, of how God wanted the priesthood to be. And it would say, Moses did everything just as the Lord had commanded him. The question might be, why? Like, why wrap up now? Why preach 16 chapters tonight? <laughs> Don't worry, we're not going to read 16 chapters. Some of you are like shell-shocked because we did like read like five chapters once. <laughs> and, uh, but there's a reason. The first 23 chapters of Exodus that we spent the last few months on, a couple months on anyway, is the defining story of the Old Testament. And if we wanted to, there's 40 chapters in Exodus. If we wanted to, we could literally preach, and it, and, and, and it would be useful and helpful. We could preach like two or three sermons each chapter, and we could literally be in this book for more than a year or two years. We see in 2 Timothy 3.16, where Paul writes to his young apprentice, Timothy, who is a church leader, he says, all of Scripture is useful for teaching, for correction, for rebuking, for building up the man or woman of God so that they could live the way that God's called them to live. And so we know we could, we could, we could, we could just dive into Exodus for a really long time. But what we are trying to accomplish and what we said from the beginning is we wanted to look at Exodus to start to give us, as a new church family, to start to give us some language of what it looks like to be delivered by God. We wanted to take the 10,000-mile look at the spiritual life, what it looks like to be someone who was in slavery, someone who was in bondage, someone who was in Egypt, and be delivered and be brought out of the land of slavery and make it through the Red Sea and come on the other side, meet God in the mountain and learn God's law of love. And so we wanted to take that big, big picture and that's what, that's what we've been doing. We are a freed people, freed to worship God. We wanted that kind of DNA. I mean, a lot of times, especially as a new congregation, the question's always, what kind of church is this, right? If somebody asks you that, the best answer is come and see. <laughs> come and check it out. <laughs> That's the best answer because people are looking for a reason to put themselves in a box where they can just turn off what you're saying. They want to hear a name. They want to hear a denomination so then they can move over here and be like, well, I'm not that, so I don't have to listen to you anymore. <laughs> you know? And what I'm saying is, when people ask what kind of church we are, come and see. Come and see. We are a congregationalist church. What does that mean? It means that we value both autonomy and accountability. We've got to be autonomous and we've got to be accountable. Right? 
So what we believe is that our church has to answer at the end of the day to the Lord how we've been faithful to his message, how we've been faithful to his mission. Like, we don't, at the end of the day, answer to another bishop. We don't answer to some other group out there with a headquarters in New England or in the Midwest or whatever, right? But at the same time, we're autonomous and we, we're responsible to God for carrying out the message and the mission of Jesus here in Gloucester City. We're also accountable. We're not alone. I talked about this last week. For, for me to continue to be a minister, we care about training. We care about ordination. We care about, like, I can't be, you know, one hand popping a wheelie, another hand with a 40 down Broadway, screaming, throwing it at people, and then up here preaching the next week, right? Like, there's accountability. And it's the same thing in our lives. It's scary. It's really scary because we kind of wish there was a bunch of rules and just like, like a prison we could be in. Like, hey, this is how it all is, super defined. But it's not like that. Life is not like that. And we, at the end of the day, are responsible for our lives. But that doesn't mean we're unaccountable. <laughs> that doesn't mean that we just do whatever we want to do without consequence. I mean, there are bad ways to answer that question kind of church, and one is tribally to, like, respond, knee-jerk, use some language, whatever, you know. Tay talked about how, uh, Tay talked about how in the South, it's like everybody's a Christian, right? And so when you go into certain parts of the South, it's like, hi, how are you doing? What's your name? Oh, what church are you part of? Like, people are trying to feel you out. Like, what kind of person are you? <laughs> right? And, and, and. There's sort of a tribalism there. The other extreme is to just be like ashamed that you're a Christian at all or a churchman and just like say nothing, right? So, I mean, I just wanted to clear this up. Um, this is, there's an analogy here, right? Family, sometimes we've had a bad family. Sometimes... We've come from parts of our family where, you know, we don't sugarcoat it. We also, like, you know, we love mom, whatever, you know, and we do. But what I'm saying is some of us have been come, come from families with issues, right, with drama, with fighting, with things that have happened. And um, just because you have had a bad family doesn't mean family is bad, <laughs> right? And it's the same with, it's like maybe... Some folks have experienced bad church. Doesn't mean church is bad. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? I was, in, I was in Africa. We served for four years in Rwanda. And I would have people ask me this question. They would say, listen, um, religion did not help us in Rwanda. So 20 years before, there was a genocide. Genocide. And what happened was this, this graphic and terrible image. And I hate the pain in your head, but... But it, there's no way around it for you to understand the depth of this. In the morning, men with blood-stained clothes would stand in a line with machetes in their hands as their hands were lowered. And the priests, the priests would come up with the holy water 
and they would pour the holy water on their swords, their machetes, and they'd pour the holy water on their heads, and they would send them and commission them out to go murder the people that they felt were not human, their enemies. Priests did that. There are cathedrals that you can go into, and we were, I was in one of them, where the priest would bring in all the people that were being slaughtered, and they were looking for sanctuary, and they were all in the pews and all that, right? And then they burned the place down, and you could still visit, and they left, they left everything as it was as a memorial and a prayer like, never again. May this never happen again. So how would you answer? That's a tough one, right? <laughs> That's a tough one. Like I'm there teaching pastors, <laughs> like pushing religion, you know? And I don't go, I'm not going to shy away from that. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Like <laughs> I hate those word games like it's a relationship, man. Okay, it's also a religion. <laughs> it's the same thing. You know, and um, I said, well, yeah, religion was, was bad. And I said, well, you know, man, like, first of all, I want to pray with you. Like, that's just traumatic. This whole, everything this nation has been through is awful. If you saw Hotel Rwanda, you know what I'm talking about. Um, terrible, terrible, yeah. But um, I said, you know what, though, like, the schools, like, all the schools, the whole education system, systematically taught that one group of people was superior to the other. So the education was used as a tool to organize the genocide. You know what? The radios and the, the, all the press, the newspapers, everything like that was constantly pushing a message of we better kill the Batutsis, we better kill this vermin cockroach tribe that's going to kill all of us if we don't kill them first. And so we have bad press, we have bad education, the government literally armed people, literally brought the machetes from China, distributed, distributed them all over the countryside and organized it. And so the government, so government itself is bad. You, you, you catch what I'm saying here? You catch what I'm saying here? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Religion can be bad and be used as a tool and a weapon for evil. So can the government. So can the press. So can schools. So can you. <laughs> so can every single part of our society. Martin Luther said, funnily, like this is a funny thing. He said, women, wine, and wealth are a trap to many men. But that doesn't mean we should get rid of all the wine, all the women, <laughs> and all the wealth. <laughs> yeah. So what kind of house of worship will we be? In this closing sermon in the book of Exodus, I want to ask this just right at the get. Are we going to be a house of worship that's full of gossips? Or a house of worship that's full of people who are pretending to be per perfect. You know, it, it kind of tends to be either way, doesn't it? 
It's like you get into church groups and it's like people kind of, they're eating steak or something, you know? It's like they want to hear every salacious detail about somebody's dirt. And there's this like culture of people just sharing stuff and sharing other people's drama. And it's a gossip house, right? But then other churches, it's like everybody pretends like they're okay and they're fine and they're faking it out and they come to church and you ask them how they're doing, they're like, I'm blessed, man. And really their lives are falling apart and they don't share nothing going on in their lives. And we don't share to pray with each other because we're afraid like we're going to be looked at like we're gossipers, right? We, we can't be either. Um, are we going to be a church of condemnation or compromise? Because it seems like a lot of times we're going to be one or the other, right? Seems like we're going to be the type of church that's just going to condemn people because they look different than us, they think different than us, they do life different than us. But then there's the other extreme. Where it's like compromise all day long. You do you. How does that work out when we've got people who are like beating on their wives? Like I'm going to say, you do you, man. There's no way we're saying that, right? Come on. It's not theoretical. It's a small group. You can guess. But you know what I'm saying? Like this, you know what I'm saying? We can't be the church of compromise where we're just like, you know, we're not going to really confront each other on nothing. We're not going to say nothing to each other. That's not love. That's punk love. That's weak. That's being a coward. So as we wrap up this book, digesting the meat of this story, that we were what? Uh, somebody say, a freed people. Let's try that again. <laughs> somebody say, a freed people. When I say somebody said, it means like, that's like... Uh, church speak for everybody say. <laughs> so I'll just say it like that. Everybody say, freed people. Freed to worship. Everybody say, freed to worship. So as we digest this meat of the core of what the gospel is, I want to remind you of where we've been for the last couple months. And I pray that it would become a part of you. You know? So I remind you, we started off with, like, that John Connor-like story, you know, like in the, the, the movie The Terminator where the artificial intelligence sends this killer robot back into time to kill John Connor when he's a little kid. Why is he doing that? Why are they doing that? Because they know John Connor's going to grow up, and he's going to lead this resistance. And what happens is Pharaoh and the powers of evil look down on the Hebrews, right? And they see this huge nation. They're like, we got to kill all the sons because they're going to overtake us. And if, if we get in the war with, our, with other nations, they're going to join in with our enemies. And so we're going to bury the sons in the Nile and drown them. Except God watched out for this guy. And he, God delivered a guy named Moses to make him a deliverer of his people. He's an imperfect deliverer, as we're going to find out, but a willing one. So he gets, he gets up and he sees 
What does he see? He sees the abuse as he grows up of his people. And what does he do? He, he jams up and interrupts one of the guys beating on one of his fellow Jewish people. And he ends up murdering the guy. And he buries them in the sand and he runs away because he knows that if he stays around in Egypt, his life is on the line. And he ends up hiding in the desert for 40 years. Finds these people called the Midianites and marries one of their women. And he finds a mountain in the middle of the wilderness. And what does he see on the mountain? Somebody answer. The burning bush. And then God speaks to him and he sends him back, right? He sends him back and he links up with his brother Aaron. And him and his brother Aaron, they literally give Pharaoh hell. Right? Now sometimes, I, re I remember when we were living in Kensington. We lived in West Kensington for 10 years. And we, for the first year, we were in this apartment where we were on the bottom floor of this row home. And we had this old lady that had lived there her whole life on the top floor. And I was working. I worked at UPS. I was, I'd, I'd go to work at like 10 o'clock at night and not come home till like 5, 6 in the morning, you know? And um, some people knocked on the door. And then they like, they, they jammed into the door and they got into the house. Now, fortunately, we had a pit bull, right? And fortunately, we had a 70-year-old Kenzo woman who couldn't have been more than 100 pounds soaking wet. But she came down there, right? And my wife, she's from, she, she's from South Jersey. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's, she's as sweet as pie. And these people were threatening her, trying to get into her house. And this little, tiny, old, frail lady gave these guys hell and they walked away <laughs> wisely because <laughs> it seemed like if you would have talked to this lady for about one minute you'd be like she might stab me like in the eye <laughs> right but fit and so, so what i'm trying to say with that is sometimes there are situations where we need somebody to give somebody hell right and pharaoh needed to be faced with god's judgment and Moses and his brother Aaron literally helped make the sky turn off. Like the sun went to sleep for three days. The, the river Nile turned to blood. There were gnats, there were frogs, there were locusts, there were boils. And finally, you know the story where God sends his destroying angel. And the people of God sacrifice a lamb and they put the blood on the doorpost. And, you know, what is this? This is a meal. Very similar to that. Right? He said the Passover, Passover is Old Testament communion. And communion is New Testament Passover. Because what do we celebrate here every week? We celebrate the fact that the lamb of God, who is Jesus, was sacrificed for you and me. Not just like the lamb that we like barbecued and then, you know, like our own little lamb. Because we lived, we lived in Africa. We like literally like had animals and we cut them up and we barbecue them, you know, so it's like very relatable. But not just like your household 
like livestock. But Jesus was a sacrifice for the whole world. And so they experienced deliverance. And then they met up on the Red Sea. And I, uh, you know, this is a map of our story. Remember Johanny sharing his story? I don't know if you were here for Johanny sharing his story. He talked about when he got to know Dylan, before that, he was running the streets, selling drugs. I'm not airing his business. He told us this on the mic a month ago, right? Now, when he got delivered from that life, I guarantee you that he then faced the Red Sea. He faced, he was delivered from slavery, but now he's got a new problem where there ain't no money in his pocket like there was before. And when you decide to be a Christian, when you decide to live a certain way, when you decide to, to, to walk with God, you face a Red Sea. And God brings you through that. I spoke about how we were people of his own possession, a special people. Dylan talked about, and he brought us to the mountain of God. You remember that? Remember Dylan bringing us to the mountain of God? He preached about the Ten Commandments. And what, what's, what is the one word that sums up all of God's law? Love. The one word. We're called to love God. We're called to love our neighbor. And last week I dived a little bit into the brass tacks, how you apply that law into our very lives, into our day-to-day lives. Of course it looks very different than it did 3,400 years ago in ancient Israel, right? But we still are called to apply the law of love into our lives. And from there, we see Moses goes back up to the mountain to meet with God. In chapter 32, what happens? While Moses is hanging out with God in the mountain, his brother Aaron, probably because he feared his life, but it was still a massively punk move, a massively corrupt thing to do. Aaron's like, all right, let's get all the gold together, boil it down, and make a calf. And let's worship it. Why would he do that? The people getting restless. People are like, all right, we're sick of being out here in the wilderness. (laughs) Anybody sick of being in the wilderness? By the way, if you haven't figured this out yet, I'm trying to show you that Exodus is a map for our lives. Do you know what happens at the end of Exodus? They don't go into the promised land. You've got to go to another book for that. <laughs> this life that we're in, we're in the wilderness. We are in the wilderness in this life. And if we are united to Christ, yeah, we should be out of the bondage of being in slavery to ourselves and to sin. And we should be able to cross some seas and see God open up some doors for us. But in this life, we are in the wilderness. God's people fall into idolatry. And our next series after this is going to be false gods. False gods. I was in uh, Jacqueline's. And it made me think of that. I was going to get a slice of pizza the other day, and I look up and I see the scar face, you know what I mean, with the dollar bill, and it says, I trust in me, <laughs> right? And it's funny, but, man, yeah, that's like number one false God, self, right? 
Number one false god. And then down in um, chapter 34, Moses comes down shining like the sun. His face is shining. He's been with God. And I am so convicted. I don't know if you are. I'm always convicted that when people come to me with issues and want help, I'm immediately, my heart and mind goes to, like, hustle mode. Like, what can I do to help them? Like, what resources do I have? Oh, man, like, we seem to always be in a spot where we have very little resources. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? And I'm, like, trying to think of how to help them. And sometimes God graciously smacks me in the face. (laughs) And it's like, slow down. Why don't you pray? Because that's, like, the reason they go to you and not to, like, somebody else. Right? And um, we've seen God come through again and again and again. Helping people get into homes when they were homeless. Helping people be healed when they were sick. Helping people be lift out of depression. Helping people come and break out of addiction. And so what I'm saying is our job, not just my job, your job too, is we don't need to live all the time in the valley. We're made for the valley. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to work in the valley. We got stuff to do in the valley. We got stuff to do on the block. We got stuff to do in our home, right? But we need to climb the mountain sometimes. And we got to meet with God so that we can come down with our faces shining like Moses. And he was ready to deal with these raggedy Israelites that were rebellious and giving them a hard time. Then in the next chapter, we see from 35 to 40, we see them building the tabernacle. What is a tabernacle? It's a tent. So they, they weren't in the promised land and they didn't have a permanent structure. So they built this insanely beautiful, ornate, luxurious tent where people could meet with God. And it would be in the center of the camp. So imagine a couple million people in the wilderness. And right in the middle of it was this big old tent. And at night, you'd see the fire of God's presence. And in the day, you'd see a pillar of cloud of his presence. So let's, let's read Exodus 40, verses 1 to 16. And, and close with this series, which has been such a blessing to my soul. I reminded you of all those sermons because like, I want this to be in your DNA. I want this to be like the way you think about your life. I want you to go back to Exodus on your own and read it and, it, and you to have the keys to open it up, to understand it to, it, to encourage you, for you to see yourself in it. So let's read Exodus 40. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, you are to set up the tabernacle, the tent of the meeting. On the first day of the first month, put the ark of the testimony there and screen off the ark with the curtain. So we're talking now about the tablets, right, to have the Ten Commandments. Then bring the table and lay it out on its arrangement and also bring the lampstand and set it up its lamps. Place the gold altar for incense in front of the ark of the testimony. Put up 
the screen for the entrance to the tabernacle. Position the altar of burning offerings in the front of the entrance to the tabernacle and the tent of the meeting. And place the basin between the tent of the meeting and the altar and put the water in it. Assemble the surrounding courtyard and hang the screen for the gate of the courtyard. Then Aaron, then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Clothe Aaron with the holy garments, anoint him and consecrate him so that he can serve me as a priest. Have his sons come forward and clothe them in tunics. Anoint them just as you anointed their father so that they may also serve me as priests. Their anointing will serve to inaugurate a permanent priesthood for them throughout their generations. And Moses did everything just as the Lord had commanded it. What do you notice? What do you notice? Hopefully you notice that, like, wow, this is super technical, like a manual for priests, and that's why we didn't read the five chapters of it. <laughs> right? Because it is. It's, like, super technical. Like, like, this is a usable document for ancient Israel, right? They would take it, and they'd be like, this faces the north, this faces the south, use this oil, don't use this oil. Like, it's super specific. Another thing I hope that you notice is that everything that's mentioned here that was used was luxuriant, was gold, was oils, was lamps, right? Was things that were of value. And when you read in like chapter 35, there's a description of the craftsmen. And the very best craftsmen of different areas would be in charge of building this temple. This mobile temple. <laughs> What do we get out of this? Well, I think one thing we get out of it is, like, we're supposed to do our best for God, right? We're supposed to do our best for God. So, like, we aren't like, hey, just come up here and say whatever, and we're good with that. Like, no, 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 no. No, I, I've got a couple degrees. I have had years of ministry experience. I've been ordained by a council of other pastors, that type of stuff is really important to us. That type of stuff is really important to us. And it's important to a lot of churches, but there are some where it's just like, man, just go up there and swing and see what happens. <laughs> God deserves our best. Here's another thing. If you regularly attend here, if you regularly come here, like, like, you're expected to serve, you're expected to give, you're expected to give your time, to give something out of your pocket, you're expected, to, now, you know that anytime I talk about money, I'm usually talking against that whole prosperity madness. Like, we never teach, if you give, you'll get rich. I'm sorry, if you wanted that kind of church, there's plenty of them, go turn on the TV, it'll make you feel good, but it's a bunch of Lies. But when you don't give, you sure miss out on the privilege. You sure miss out on prosperity in this sense. There is a privilege in joining in what God is doing. There is a joy in serving him. There's an act of worship 
in adorning his temple. In, in Haggai, you see that the, the prophet Haggai, in Haggai 1.6, he says, How is it that you guys are like wood paneling your walls and the temple lays in ruins? How, how is it that you are like getting your second house, going to Red Lobster? <laughs> Didn't mean to look at you like that, Irish, but. <laughs> going to Red Lobster, doing this and that, getting a new whip, doing whatever, and it's like you, you do just nothing to give to others or to give to the Lord. You're missing out on joy. Third thing, and I hope you saw this, there's a place for sacrifice in the presence of God. There's a place for sacrifice. And I just want to close with reading this very helpful interpretation of Exodus from Hebrews 10, starting in verse 10. <clears throat> Since the law has only a shadow, the law is only a shadow of the good things to come, not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, it would have, they would have stopped being offered since the worship purified once and for all would no longer have to any consciousness of sins. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. So remember, like, the priests and everybody had to be washed over and over again, then they had to be anointed, right? Well, they would always have to bring in animals because guess what happens every year? Every year, the people continue to fail God. <laughs> Right? It's not like they get washed, they get anointed, they're like, I'm going to live for God now, and then like, for the rest of their lives, they're like perfect, right? Have you ever met anybody like that? You've met me, and that's another person that you haven't met like that. Because <laughs> I sure ain't that way. But it is impossible, verse 4, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Therefore... As he was coming into the world, he said, you did not desire sacrifice or offer something, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. And after he said the above, you do not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to to the law. He then said, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sin. But this man offering one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. So what is, what is the author of Hebrews saying? He's saying all the stuff we read about in Exodus, it's all pictures. And when you understand that Jesus is the key, you understand what it's all about. So Jesus is the priest offering the sacrifice. And guess what? He's also the sacrifice on the altar. 
Jesus is the lawgiver. But guess what he also is? He's the judge. So, so Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus is the greater Moses. And he's the better Aaron. And guess what else he is? Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is the temple. What's the whole point of the tabernacle and the temple? What's the whole point of the fire at night and the pillar of clouds that, in the day? It's the fact that this was the place where people could meet with God. This is the place where heaven meets with earth. And Jesus said crazy stuff like, if you tear down this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. And that just made the people nuts. That made them think like, oh, you, what, what are you trying to say? You're going you're gonna to knock down our holy temple? Like, that's blasphemy. He wasn't talking about that building. He's talking about his own flesh and blood. He says, you are going to tear this down. <laughs> you're going to kill me. But guess what? I'm coming back. I'm coming back in three days. So when you read Exodus again on your own, I pray that you will see that Jesus is the greater in every one of these things. Moses speaks of a last prophet. Jesus is that prophet. He's that temple. He's living with us, and he's living in us. Sometimes we act like the Old Testament is all wrath, and the New Testament is all grace. We've totally missed it. The New Testament is that high definition, full color, <laughs> retinal view. Like, you know how the Mac say they got retinal view? So it's like, if you have a Mac, it's like it can't be any more defined, or your eyes couldn't see it any more defined. <laughs> That's the New Testament, because we don't have just a list of laws that reveal what God wants from us. We have a person. His name is Jesus. Now we know what love looks like, not just because we have 10 laws, but because we have a guy who wandered around the earth and showed us what love looked like every single day he lived and showed us what love looked like the most the way he died for you and me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this book of Exodus. Lord, I pray that it would be one that every single person who, will, who hears me now, who will listen online, that Lord, this series would be encouraging to our souls. It would be it would, it would help us understand your word. It would help us understand this book, and we would be able to read it and be encouraged and be nourished from it. Lord, we pray that we would have that spirit of just as the Lord commanded. We would want to please you like Moses sought to please you. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.